Warning, this show contains explicit content, which is why it's awesome. Welcome back to an all-new episode of Full Metal RPG, episode number 38. I'm your host, Brendan Carrion. Today I'm joined by my good buddy, my platonic life partner, Adam Sink. Ahoy, ahoy. And to my left, I have the other member of the Triumvirate, without whom this would not exist. I got Ben motherfucking Bailey. What's up? And today, after long, long last, long last, we are joined once again on the mics by the Warlord Amanda. Hello. It's good to be back. It's good to have you back. It's like the gang's all here. The it gang's all like here, the guys. The gang's all here. So how we been doing? What's new, guys? What's new? What's crack-lacking? Cricket's about to happen this weekend. Oh, fuck Crit yeah. It hit. sure is. It's coming up. Sure is, yeah. Crit hit's coming right up. Saturday. Which is, you know what? When people are listening to this, we will be at Crit Hit. That's when, you know, I'm going to get up all blurry-eyed and I'm going to post this and then I'm going to go to Crit Hit. So if you are listening to this, imagine right now we are at a Hilton playing role-playing games together. Well, they might be there too. Or recording another episode of the podcast. That that could be happening as well because we're going to be doing that at Crit Hit also. Um, I think we're all all playing on being there, right? The whole, the whole, this is the crit hit. I have to be. I'm running something. So. Yeah, you're running shit. What about you, Amanda? You got some I games to run? I am also running. And Ben? I am not running. I am playing. Killer. <laughs> to be totally honest, if I just spend the day rolling some dice with my friends and, and like kicking back and playing some games I've never played before, that probably would not be the worst thing in the world. That's how I view it. Yeah, I probably, yeah, I probably won't cry. That's what oh. I did on the first time they ran. And it was, it's nice. It's fun. Well, you know what? That's the zestiness that makes life worth living, guys. So, Amanda, it's been some time since we've heard from you. What have you been up to? What's new? Hmm, I've actually uh, been running more stuff locally. Pray tell. I've been running a lot of Firefly and Kuro. Nice. <laughs> really? I did not know this. If Who you, you run a Reavers campaign, you can mush the two together like peanut butter and chocolate. Two great tastes that taste great together. Actually, at Crit Hit, I'm going to be mushing together Kuro and Supernatural. All right, that um, <laughs> that sounds like pickles and chocolate yeah. to to taste that do not go well together. But ben, I mean, ben and I are sitting here nodding like, I, good. Uh, but hey, I, I don't know a ton awesome. about supernatural, so um, yeah, supernatural is one of those things that people like love. They love it, right. uh, and I've just never been able to get into it. Right. Now, th- what you what you are talking about here segues very nicely into what we're talking about today, which is. Uh, um, Intellectual property gaming. This is a new. This is a new word. I used to call it back in the nineties. I used to call it franchise gaming. I used to call these franchise games. Mm. But now, now this whole new term has entered the parlance of our times. Uh, intellectual property. We all talk about. We talk about the shows that we watch like we're entertainment lawyers who live in L.A. So 
you, an, 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 an intellectual property game is like a is like a game that is uh, that is based on a TV show or it's based on a movie or it's based on a series of novels. And we're going to be talking about that today because sort of weirdly, this is like an incredibly popular thing to do with with role playing, right? Sure. Like you wouldn't think so, right off the top of your head, you wouldn't be like because it can't. You know, role playing started with Dungeons and Dragons, which is like setting setting neutral, setting agnostic, right? Implied setting only. But then there's this. It's not even like uh, franchise or IP gaming is like a small niche thing. It's like fucking huge. It's like half the. It's half the experience. It's Am the I same wrong? with board gaming, though. It's there's the Doom board game and the Starcraft board game and the sure. There's like all it is. Yeah, it's but, it's uh, gaming in general. Uh, like people want to interact with the with the stuff they love. I would contend that the influx of properties into board gaming is more recent than in role playing. Where actually, when you go back to like 1982, some of the biggest role-playing games that were out at the time were actually what I used to call franchise games. But before we get into the real meat, the meat of this IP gaming conversation, we'll do our regular little roundtable. We'll just catch up with everybody and see what they're doing. Adam, what have you been playing? What have I been playing? Uh, I'm playing anything. Uh, Shadow War sometimes, I guess, is the one thing I've been playing. Um, I've been getting pretty thoroughly stomped at that. Uh, and then we get we weren't able to run Shadow War last week because of, because of Magic the Gathering. Yeah, Magic Gathering. <laughs> Thanks for nothing, Thanks, Magic, Magic the Gathering. So we yeah. couldn't Who do plays it last that anyway. Week, uh, Thanks for nothing, Planeswalkers. Yeah. So Jesus. um, yeah, I've been taking some bad beats in that anyway. So I guess it was a welcome respite. That's all I've been doing. And then welcome reading the reading books, uh, oh. getting ready to to run stuff at Crit Hit. So I've been have I've been reading the uh, the V five playtest and demo stuff. And at Gen and, Con, which and, is and at Gen Con. And uh, I got and I got called out, and so I've been reading Tales of Equestria. I have a copy in my hot uh, little hands. A, and, a, uh, this a, this an has IP now game. been immortalized. Yes, an IP game. An IP game. It, yes. it all comes back to IP games, guys. It does. It is okay. a My Little Pony IP, IP game, and I'll be I will I'm supposed to run it at Crit Hit, but it's not on the schedule now, so I I don't know if I'll be running it. Or I not. for one yeah. am, am mad that it's not on the schedule. I will uh, be sure to to join in on that one. In. All right, mad means crazy. All right, so Ben. Yes. You know what? You know, Ben and I are going to do like a little duet, like an Islands in the Stream kind of thing, because he and I have been playing the same game, yep. like we always do. So instead of us running over each other, we're just going to make it a, a, a co-op thing. So what have we been doing, Ben? I'm playing some Giovanni Chronicles. Fucking Giovanni Chronicles, yep. right? Hell yeah. That's been fun. It has been fun. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we played, what, Saturday, right? We did. First time dice first on the table since May. Jesus, yeah, like six weeks or something. Yeah. And dude, it was a good fucking session, was it, it not? It was. Oh man, we tore it, it up. It was... I guess I was I was sort of thinking earlier about uh, about your sort of like comparison between when we did Giovanni Chronicles of the past and to now, yeah, and how like how we have like similar sort of like party member roles with like it's true with like uh, sort of the wild card crazy person. There is a wild card. <laughs> we got another wild card. Yeah, Chris, I'm talking about you, dog. <laughs> it's tropes. There's listens. always tropes in gaming. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It's Our, weird how it just kind of like it like fell naturally though. It's yeah. not like we like oh. I'm gonna be the wild card or whatever, but it just, right. it just happens. You know, right. there's always a guy who's got to be the muscle. It's like you, you end up with a lot of those tropes coming up. But we had a really strong session. A lot of, I mean, a lot of really good role playing. Young Dustin was doing role playing this session that was literally so deep, I didn't know that he was role playing. I thought that like he had forgotten something or like missed a cue, but what he had really done 
was manipulated another player's character into putting himself out on a limb, and then he just stepped back and let him be be there. <laughs> he did, and while all the rest of the party was circling like sharks, it was great. It was. It, it was. was I, really I didn't realize good. that it happened either. I was. Yeah. I, I actually, I actually uh, spent some time before that trying to convince him to like not be on the crazy side. But oh, I guess it was well. all in vain because he'd already made his choice. And yeah, no good. kidding. No kidding. Dustin's doing a great job in that game. So uh, the characters, they all uh, went to the Monastery of St. Saint T- Timothy. And uh, there was a big, there was this, all this controversy about whether they were going to let the ghoul Rodrigo escape or not. And uh, Dustin and Chris had this little conspiracy about how they were going to like get Rodrigo out of there. But little <laughs> did Chris know, little did Chris know... <laughs> Dustin was actually part of that conspiracy, and he has let he has let him twist. So they ran into some like Crusader guys, who uh, who ended up taking Rodrigo anyway. Um, the party ended up at uh, uh, Saint Timothy's, where they interacted with Japheth and uh, Cappadocius, and uh, then we called it. But it was a really good night of role playing. It was a really good night of role. It playing. was, yeah. Yeah, lots of good uh, player player interactions. Oh yeah, people were just it was it was the first time in many years that we really got to that spot where people were like ready to go. They were like ready to just yeah. And there was weird like lots of little things happening that I didn't really pick up on until we were talking about it today too. Like yeah, uh, like for instance, mysterious Jeff and what he was doing on that ride. Yeah, like, no idea, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> and then you know, because Dustin and Ben and I we all worked together. And it was the first time literally since I've been back in Phoenix. That we all came into work and just wanted to talk about role playing, yeah. right? We just all wanted to talk about what was going on in the last session, and we you know we played through a bunch of games. We played we played Out of the Abyss, and we've been playing this Giovanni for a while. And we've had a couple of false starts on some like other games, but things have really come together with Giovanni. So I'm very happy with that campaign, that Chronicle. I really could be happier with that. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. How about you, Amanda? You so you're running Firefly, and you're running. Yeah, I've been doing con games, uh, the Arizona Game Fair, um, Phoenix Con Comic Con was the last one. That was the last con. What'd you run there? I ran D and D, Firefly, and Kuro. But you don't have a, a group right now. No, I don't. It's well, so sad. Fucking sucks, man. I thought you had. I thought the last time I talked to you, which granted was a little while ago. I had a D and D group. Yeah, you had a D and D like a five, good, right? That did not continue. What happened? Yeah. Did it, did it peter out or was did it flame out? Uh, no, it, it just petered out. It eh. didn't. Nothing. No dramatic ending. But yeah, these things happen. It Nobody was scheduling. threw their dice across the room. <laughs> and so uh, I take it that you're really feeling Firefly right now because you brought Firefly to talk about today, and you're running Firefly, and you. Yeah, I got a lot Firefly. of questions about that when we get there too. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. I, I am too. I'm just. I'm very interested in how it works. Cause I bet it works great. It, yeah, it's I just actually I, I, really simple. Okay, I, I just have questions, but I'll save them for the appropriate time because because I'm really interested in in hearing about it. I like the show Firefly, so I'm just I'm very interested in how how it works. What's the premise for your Firefly game? Well, I keep them pretty simple for the conventions. So this one is basically uh, they're going to be smugglers, of course, and they're just going to kind of I've got little encounters. 
set up. So you don't actually play the the people on the Firefly, right? Or on Serenity. Oh, okay. I am not going to go into question. a convention like, and be like, hey, who wants to be Mal? <laughs> yeah, that was oh, one of my questions. that would be was, so like, awkward. I was like, it's that would be so awkward. It's, having it titled Firefly leads me to believe I'm playing like Wash or something. and, and then I would, Why I'm would you presume that? My just, hair out at the end of that. I'd be yeah. like, Mal would not fucking do that. No. Oh, man. This yeah. gets into no, what no, we're no. going to talk about here yeah. in a second. So, so you run some like little vignettes, some little... Kind of some well, some- basically the way I do it, because you never know who you're going to get at a convention. That's one of the one of the good things and the bad things. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I have, <laughs> I'll, I'll make these encounters and be like, okay, if they go this way, this will happen. If they go this way, this will happen. And, and then with, you get some guy who comes up and goes the third way where you're like, why are you doing this? Yeah, pretty much. So then you always have to have, you know, your, your backup monster and be like, okay, well, now you're fighting this. But um, in the in the Firefly, I will put in people from the show. So like, it, uh, Phoenix Con, the game I did there, Patience made an appearance, and you had to deal with Patience and her gang on her world, and just you know stuff like that. So that people that actually know what Firefly is are like, oh, because I had some people playing that had no idea what Firefly so was. Just give them little morsels, <laughs> little yeah. tastes. Yeah, I seems weird to jump into an IP game without actually knowing the IP at all. Well, yeah, I'm not sure why they. They're just like, hey, Firefly, let's go play. I'm like, oh, all right. They might have friends that want to do it. <laughs> right. Oh, that's true. So, um, all right, real quick, winding down here for the break. Uh, who's been? What? 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 You guys been buying? Adam, what you been buying lately? Tales of Equestria, right? <laughs> yes, Tales of Equestria. I bought that, and I bought the the uh, the ex- the first expansion for it, which has the screen. So I've got the screen and the game. I'm wow. ready to roll. Is there glitter Whoa. on the screen? There is no glitter on oh, the screen. I was very some. disappointed. And Whoa. you don't get Just tokens of friendship. You got to buy those separately. So um. I'm going to go buy some glass beads at Michael's to use for tokens of friendship. Ben, what have you been buying? Uh, what have you been collecting, dude? My most recent uh, purchase is actually a Kickstarter purchase. I supported the Happiest Apocalypse on Earth role-playing game. Interesting. Who's also going to be accredited, apparently, I saw, and going to be running a game. So we'll see if we can connect and, yeah. uh, you know... Nice. Chat about games. Yeah, we're hoping to meet the creator. Haven't even heard of that one. Amanda, what you been collecting recently? Well, speaking of IPs, I also did a Kickstarter recently for, um, actually, it's a comic book called Niobe. Mm. And they're doing this thing where they had um, Pezo make a Pathfinder module for their world. So, I was like... Oh, yeah, I saw that, actually. I yeah, remember. so that's what I get. That's what I, I bought recently. It doesn't come until October. Oh, so I'm waiting. But uh, I'm excited ha- about this because it's based off a comic book. And I love my comic book. So I'm just like, yeah, finally, finally, something that, I mean, yeah, they've done Marvel. But they haven't done Marvel well. I have been collecting uh, vintage Elric books. Elric, as Ben will explain shortly, has a sort of tortured history in terms of its naming convention. What what they call it, but Elric and Stormbringer are the same game, and I have been picking up vintage Chaosium Elric slash Stormbringer books, and this weekend I made a really sweet haul, man. Oh my god, I got two super vintage, very like unbelievably good condition finds for like oh I got two essentially for the price of one. Anyway, that's what I've been doing. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to get into our subject, uh, franchise slash IP gaming. What do you guys think? Sounds, Sounds great. great. Can't wait. Islands in the street, that is what we are. No one in between, how can we be wrong? Sail away with me. 
So today we're going to talk about gaming that takes place inside of an IP or a franchise, as I used to call it. Uh, the inspiration for this episode came when I was listening to my friend Zach's podcast, The Tabletop Radio Hour. And he was doing, I think, an introduction with the members of his podcast where they were kind of explaining their backgrounds. It was episode one. And one of the guys on his podcast is like this old school dude. And he started listing the games that he played when he was young. And he, he said something like, oh, I've never played D- I, ne- I never played D&D when I was young. I just played these games. And they were all IPs. Every single one of them. It was like Foss's Star Trek. It was uh, Indiana Jones. Like he played the shit at Indiana Jones. Maybe some TMNT in there. You know, maybe I, 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 to be totally honest, and uh, I he I think at one point in the episode he says I had role played for twenty years before I played something that wasn't like an IP game, and my mind was just blown. I was like, and I was kind of like, how could somebody do that? How could you get away with? I mean, it's just so much role playing and 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 franchise gaming is so such a small part of it. And then I really started thinking about it, and I was like, you know what? There's so many of these damn IP games. I mean, there's so many of them. And to be totally honest, I own like a ton of them. I own a ton <laughs> of them. So I thought, why don't we kind of get this on the old podcast and explore it a little bit? So, well, we're constraining ourselves to franchises that you would recognize from film or from television or from novel series. We're not going to talk about things that are kind of like self-replicating IPs, kind of like how... Warhammer fantasy battle turned into Warhammer role playing, which turned into novels, which turned into other role playing, and the way that like a big snake, it just keeps eating itself. Sure, right. We're gonna we're gonna keep it to things that existed outside the realm of gaming and then got ported into gaming, so that people could immerse themselves in the fantasy worlds that they that they loved, which which I suppose right is the whole fucking reason that it exists. Am I right? Yep, I believe so. I think if you look at gaming just in general, right? And we all know Gygax's sort of fixation on Lord of the Rings, right? And then the various Appendix N uh, materials. You could kind of say that role-playing as a hobby is a reaction to this idea that you want to be inside of something that you read or that you saw, right? Because the original role-playing was based so heavily on things like Lord of the Rings in a certain way. Well, a lot of the, the gaming in general was informed by Lord of the Rings and, and uh, Moorcock and, and all of that, Starship Troopers, those kind of things. There was a lot of the novel is, novels and those books that people wanted to, to have a deeper interaction with that then spawned games um, and their own IPs and, and, and such. I mean, well, the oldest book that I have that I personally bought in my collection is an IP game. It's West End Star Wars. Um Right, it's it's had some some rough patches through the ages where you know I've I've used it and it's it's been well loved, but it's an old book. It's a beat up book. Um, but we did we didn't start with IP games, but they were they were always a part of the journey. It was always part of the path. First game I ever bought on my own. Now I have memories that conflict. This one, one says it was Shadowrun, but deep in my heart I know that it was Fossa Star Trek Second Edition. So my for the first game that I ever owned myself was an IP game. And right. I think I mean I think that those IPs are just really important 
to bringing in new blood. Well, because they're you know? compelling, because you get exposure <clears throat> yeah. to the concept before you start. Like, if you tell me, you go up to someone who doesn't know what Dungeons & Dragons is and say, we're going to play Dungeons & Dragons. They don't necessarily have an idea of what that is. You don't know what you're buying into. But if someone comes up to you and they're like, hey, we're going to play um, Star Trek. Yeah. You've got a pretty good idea of yeah. what you're getting into. If someone yeah. comes up to you and says, we're going to play Doctor Who, you've already got an idea in your head of, I know what this world is like. Uh, so it's a good jumping off point. You've got you've got some established lore. You've got a setting. You've got a world. You're familiar with it. And you're like, okay, I have an idea of how everything works here. Whereas if I go up to somebody and I'm like, dude, we're playing Eberron. They're going to be like, I what the f- what is Eberron? <laughs> what is this? I don't know what an Eberron is. What are some IP games we can think of? Because we've already named a bunch. We've named some of the big, the big hits, right? Tank Girl will forever mm-hmm. be in my mind. Did you have it? I had it. And I never, ever played it because I could never find anyone that wanted to play. Wow. That's I sad. know. It's in my storage I'd have played a, I still I'd have played have a kangaroo, it. man. You know, what, what, what really strikes me is if you go back to one of the oldest, most successful role-playing games in the history of role-playing, it's Call of Cthulhu, right? Sure. So it's a fucking IP game. It's like hard. Sometimes it's, it's weird to think about it that way. But it's that I mean it's like one of the it's one of the top three sure. like you know primordial role playing games and it's a fucking IP game. Yeah, it's Lovecraftian horror and it's open. Uh, well, the copyright's open on it at this point. Now so, it is, yeah. yeah, of course, people are going to interact with it on a deep level because it's like, hey, we can do whatever we want with it. Now we've yeah. got the freedom to kind of build on it and play with it. And yeah. I was I was once given as a gift a copy of uh, the Ghost Dog role playing game based on the Jim Jarmusch. One I've owned too, I yeah. That. Mm-hmm. And I. I never ran it, and like a fool, I sold it. It's gone. I don't have my and, either. I mean, I, w- I kept it in mint condition. It's in storage. <laughs> <laughs> is it air conditioned storage or is it really unair conditioned storage? Because if it's in, in non air conditioned storage, I got some bad news for you. No, no. I have a whole bunch of books in storage, like more than just role playing books, because they don't fit in my little apartment. Yeah, but is it climate controlled or not? <laughs> yes. Like, you didn't answer it's, my it's question. Fine. Yes, that was it's fine. Okay. That was all right. so classic. I know about the blue. That was such a classic grognard uh, moment. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to. All the pages are coming out because the glue's melting. <laughs> wow. This is important. Terrible. Right, okay, guys. Here. Okay, so let's get into this here. So um, I think that there are some distinct benefits and drawbacks to IP gaming, okay? And I'm going to kind of like run through my little theory here. You guys can, you know play with it like you would like a a cat would with a little captured mouse, all right? To me, the benefits and the drawbacks to IP gaming are paradoxically the same, okay? (laughs) Each benefit taken to a weird extreme becomes a drawback that makes you not actually want an IP game, okay? So the first one I have with some little sheet here is people are passionate about the setting, right? It's, It's easy to say to somebody, hey, Star Wars, like Adam said, everybody know everybody's fucking seen Star Wars. Everybody has an idea about what Star Wars means. So and you don't have to when you sit down at the table, you don't have to spend thirty fucking minutes explaining what Star Wars looks like. Right. Everybody and then knows you tell me, Adam, we're playing Federation, and I go, if I can't play a Romulan or a Kardashian, I don't want to play. <laughs> <laughs> and there's the drawbacks. Yeah. <laughs> there's the drawback because the, 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 well, no. The, that is part. That's part. Okay, that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Sure. I, I look at that. What he's saying is the drawback is like when you got someone me sitting down at the table who is not a fan of Star Wars, right. 
and who like Yeah, I was going to say know, specifically like, you are the reason I will <laughs> never ever run Star Wars ever again. Yeah, because you know, I like to point out like all the weird like uh, racism involved and like I mean, okay, there's there's the whole I, I think that that's an edge case because if, when you, you get a hater at your table who's like trying to subvert the game and it's like, well, why are they playing, et cetera, et cetera. It's like if, if that would happen in any game, somebody sits down there like, I hate Shadowrunner, I'd be doing cyberpunk, I'm just gonna make fun of the elves, I'm gonna make fun of the dragons. You're gonna subvert the game from within. To me, the drawback comes from Ab and I both have an understanding of what Star Wars is and what it means, right? And we both come from that generation where it was like a near religion. Interacting with Star Wars was a quasi-religious experience. So now we both sit down at the table and we both think we know what Star Wars means. But what we don't understand is that it means something different to each one of us. Now we're trying to create a consensual understanding of what that means and we're butting up against each other's ideas about what that is. So what you're really saying is... If this were to happen, you would come at, come at it from the fact that Han shot second, and you would come at it from the fact that Han shot first. Oh, God. Yeah, troll troll away. <laughs> troll the low, the low. No, mean, but I mean, that's, that's, I mean well, seriously. He's, that's he's like, kind of not wrong. Like, no, I'm not, I'm not when you think about it. Like, you're, you're approaching it from, like, what it means to you, and some yeah. people don't want, and some people have, see things through different colored lenses. One of the prime examples with Star Wars role-playing in general is every time I go to run it, I don't want Jedi in my games. This is I where don't want to have another damn Jedi. I don't want to see a Jedi. I don't want to hear about Jedi. I don't even want to hear someone mention the word lightsaber when I'm running Star Wars. I want to run it as a rebellion game or something where you're soldiers and you're fighting and Luke's off doing all the Jedi stuff on his own and you don't know anything about it. But other people go into Star Wars and they're like, why would I play Star Wars if I'm not playing a Jedi? The Jedi are the only reason to play Star Wars. And then on top of that... You can have two guys who both want to play Jedi. They both agree that they're going to play Jedi, but then they have a different idea about what that means. Right. And and it's like, oh, I'm a light side Jedi, and the GM goes, no, that's a dark side action. And then and then you have a thirty minute fucking conversation right. about how the Force works, what the Force is, and what it fucking means to use the Force, right. and why this force is choking a- isn't a dark side action because Luke does it to the Gamorrean guard oh, in Return of the Jedi, oh, and you're just like, go. but it is a dark side action. You're forcibly choking someone. Like and, it has to. Be and that was to action. show that in the beginning of Return that, that Luke had brought balance to the Force because he experienced light side and dark side, right? Yeah. Yeah. It just goes and on you, and on. You rabbit hole on something. <laughs> and he's wearing a black shirt. Huh? He's wearing a black shirt. He is wearing a black tunic. Kinda... And he's got a green lightsaber, which is different than the blue lightsaber the Jedi traditionally wielded and the red lightsaber. It's almost like it, it's, it's his own thing that he created. <laughs> All right. So to me, the next benefit slash drawback is... The players know the setting. All right, this is this is a huge boon. You put a copy of the Forgotten Realms AD and D Second Edition box set in front of somebody and say, "We're gonna play this," and they go, "All right, that." image on the cover is somewhat appealing but i know nothing about what we're gonna do here and then they gotta either do a bunch of research and learn or you have to kind of bumble through it in game and this to me is where things go off the rails especially with new gamers right people often talk about these kind of wild games that happen 
where sure. where people act very strangely. They get into character and then they start just running around doing the 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 murder hobo thing. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because because the players are attempting to test the constraints of the reality around them. They right. know that they're in some kind of weird VR world, but they don't know quite what that means. And being ignorant of the forms of role playing, they start behaving in this obtuse way, not understanding that the GM can't actually punish them in the way that they're supposed to be punished because then the game would be over. So that means that their 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 behavior is reinforced, so they think that they're allowed to do it, which means that the games go off the rail and die. Well, at that point, the GM has a responsibility to try and explain, you know, yeah. hey, look, this isn't how this world works, you know. And the fact of the matter is, is if you play in an IP setting, then you don't have to have this conversation at all. Because everybody's like, say we want to play Star Trek, right? Mm-hmm. We've and we've both watched a bunch of Star Trek: Next Generation. We both know how this works. We know that when Picard says "engage," that we engage, and we don't go. I don't wanna. I'm chaotic <laughs> or, evil. Or I shoot Picard <laughs> with my phaser. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm the captain. Yeah, Look exactly. at me. I'm the captain now. And it's like it's like if you if Picard says "engage" and you don't do it. You're not playing Star Trek anymore. You've broken the social contract. Right. Get the fuck out. We're all here to do the thing. And that is enforced by the idea of the setting which exists before you even sit at the table. And that's a good thing. Where this becomes bad is when you sit down at the table and you enter and you 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 encounter the Grognard guy who knows way more about Star Trek than you than you even want to know. <laughs> right? Like maybe like maybe you think you're kind of a Star Trek buff. Like you've seen every episode twice and you can kind of do some of the banter and stuff and then you encounter that guy who goes well actually right it's not even necessarily that sometimes it's just they know a corner of it that you've never interacted with so you're like you know you're like me okay so the only jedi is luke there's no well four switches of dathomir are still around (laughs) and they are force users and i want to play a four switch of dathomir and you're like what the i don't know what that is why are you talking to me about this this is the Force Witches of Dathomir aren't joining the yeah. rebellion, so why are we having this conversation? I, I actually call this. In well, my then head, I get on the ship and I go to Dathomir. All right, great. Because, because I, don't, I have these conversations in my head, and I don't necessarily have them with people, but in my head, I call this Middle Earth syndrome, because I have met so many Middle Earth scholars. Yeah. Exactly, the Middle Earth scholars. So <laughs> the people many who bust people, out the Similarin and start quoting it to you. They want to run Middle Earth, but they don't. Because they don't want to encounter that guy who is literally carrying around his like hand annotated copy of the Similarian and being like, "Well, actually, if you if you look at like verse twelve, you know, and he has this like reverential mm-hmm. idea of what is going on in Middle Earth. That, I mean, you're never gonna get there. But but all of a sudden, that guy is eroding your authority as the game master. He's making it hard for you to run the game. Will you kick his ass out? <laughs> I see no problem here. <laughs> GTFO, dude. GTFO. Last <laughs> last benefit drawback that I have that I have that I have sort of isolated here in my musings. Okay, and I don't know if this is a benefit or a drawback. I submit to you guys. I want to hear your thoughts. Here is um, there's all these signature characters, right? Sure. You were you were kind of alluding to this before. People want to interact with the signature characters. 
right? They want to, they want that kind of weird tingle that they get when they walk into the room and they're like, "Oh, Darth Vader's in here!" Right? Yeah. Like, like you you see this happen. I think especially in things like Star Wars and Star Trek, where like, oh, you walk by the throne room and you can see Emperor Palpatine talking to somebody, and and people go like, oh, you know, like that. Like, I was there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and people like that. People want to engage with that, right? I actually heard some criticism of the Elric game from some like hardcore old school 1980s role players. Yeah. Who were upset because in the Elric game you don't get to play Elric. And they thought that was the biggest most fun thing that you'd do. Uh, is you show up and play Elric. Now, I think wait, wait, that's kind of weird. Did, did, does guy one play Elric one? Does guy two play Elric two? <laughs> These are the people who want to play Luke in Star Wars. I want to play Luke. Well, and I mean, it's like, why do you want to play Luke? Luke they, already they played play Luke. Him, though. That's, that's part of the thing. And, and I, I personally would not want to go into a game and play one of the signature characters. All right, that was my question but, about Firefly. I was like, do I play Wash? Like, that seems kind of weird. But you can. But. They have a supplement out specifically... With all of the crew, yeah, so you can if you want to, yeah, because I there's mean, the people that want to. I don't want to run that. There's if stats I was going to run that, I would only run it with people I actually know and trust as gamers. I would never run that at a convention with you're, you're going to have Mr. Weirdo. I mean, in theory, <laughs> like any game that has stats for the signature characters, you could play that signature character. You just pull his sheet out with the stats on it and you yeah. go, now I'm Luke or, or now I'm Han. Or, or now you sit I'm there and beef because everybody's got their little theory as to how Darth Vader should be statted. And they're like, I don't, I don't like the, what's this feat? Yeah. This feat right. is stupid. Darth Vader would never have this feat. I'm going to represent it with a different feat anyway. I'm just kind of stunned that people really wanted to play Elric. <laughs> you want to like <laughs> sardonically slaughter their way through Isn't everybody? That weird? I, mean, like, like, I just don't. Un- yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's I, a good time to some people. I was yeah, there are some people murder hobos who just I want to kill everyone <laughs> who I, just, I run across in the game. An example, I guess that you could use. He just like he kills everything that he wants to and needs well, to. Yeah, he's also alone like because all of his friends die by his own hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you exactly. know. Um, so so how so I feel like right now I'm getting a sense that as a group we're probably like lean towards not allowing players to assume the roles of the signature I wouldn't characters. let them assume the roles. I don't mind maybe if they interact with them or one of them shows up every once in a while, but it's like if you're personally taking orders from Darth Vader like every session, that to me is kind of weird. Yeah, like, but- who are you at that point? Like, even Boba Fett only met Darth Vader once when he was like, no disintegrations. Twice. And then, oh, yeah, twice. I'm altering the deal. Yeah. yeah, I'm altering it, the deal. It's good Pray to, don't to throw in characters, right, though. It is good to throw them in. He's no good to me dead. <laughs> like, 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 putting Elric, right? Like, I, I definitely would use some, like, signature chaos gods. They seem like great material, you know? Like, Ariok or, you know, I don't know, Slortar. Yeah, I mean, or... you're not going to really be able to play Cthulhu without some Cthonic entity in it, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, there's, yeah. But I, I don't there's really There's going to have to be Haster or Neralathotep or one of those guys. Well, there's this whole period. What's what's uh, fucking um, Elric's cousin's name? Yurkun. Yurkun. There's a, after Elric kicks Yurkun out of Melnabonet, Yurkun goes to this uh, shitty little town in the Young Kingdoms, and he takes it over, right? And he becomes like the prince of that town, and he kind of is running it into the ground in this like shitty way. And it would be super rad to play a game in that town while Yurkun's running it. Sure, right? sure. I, 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 That'd be sweet. I, I think so, too. Um, there, there are certain characters I, I could easily see putting in a game. Yurkun would be one of them, right? Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
you know, maybe maybe some of the Purple Towns people. I don't know. They seem kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. The Elric books stat them out. And I think all these books tend to, right? They tend to give you this stuff because they know that this is an integral part of the experience, right? Oh, yeah. Firefly yeah. has a stat for just about every single character you will see but in the series. But there's just characters where you're like, why give this character stats? Like Conan. If you're playing in the Conan RPG, Conan is just able to yeah. do whatever Conan needs to do. That is true. He doesn't need stats. I don't think you should encounter Conan. Now, you're a Conan you fan. Encounter. You have uh, that whole fucking oh, thing. Oh, yeah. Conan is awesome. You're a big IP gamer. All the you see, that's why I wanted you on this show. You ran Wheel of Time for us. You oh own God, all I that, forgot about Wheel of Time. You, <laughs> you own all I that Conan shit. See, I owned a bunch of the Conan stuff, and I ended up oh, getting God. rid of it just because I never played it. Because no one ever wanted to play it. Because they were like, "Oh, I want the treasure," and I was like, "Well, the thing about Conan is there's a system." called high living where as soon as you get treasure you immediately start hemorrhaging the money because like conan you just blow it on like <laughs> ale and women because that's the point of the game and they were like no i want a plus two bastard sword and i was like there's there's no plus two swords in this game that's that's it's a low magic setting that's not how this game works and i couldn't get my gaming group to to get their head around that and so i just gave up i even like the like the the Shem book and everything where it was all the nobility and everything like, Oh yeah, you can play nobles and you can be sitting around like in your, your, you know, columned palatial estate, like pinning items to other people, you know? <laughs> now one of the things that's interesting about IP games is they tend to have a lot of source books, right? And you were pointing Tons, this out earlier. Yeah. So that can be both a benefit and a drawback because yes, it removes, a, it, it gives you an incredible amount of material to work with. The problem is it removes a lot of creativity from the setting. So if I want to go in and I want to create like these weird dark side users, uh, people are going to be like, oh, like Force Witches of Dathomir. Like, no, it's a if it's a different thing. Why don't why aren't they just Force Witches of Dathomir? Well, because they're a different thing, and I don't want to. So I want this warrior society. Oh, like the Death Watch on Mandalore. Well, I mean, I don't necessarily want it to be the Death Watch on Mandalore. I don't I really see it that way. I mean, and it's just it, I kind of get fatigue with buying the books. Like, there's just want... a point where you don't need all these books, and then you get books for stuff that you don't that you don't need like the force unleashed campaign guide here's yeah. the force unleashed campaign guide adam i okay i don't i don't need it i don't want it i don't need it. I, I mean but hey, i'm a completionist so i end up buying them sometimes got? sometimes do you'll get books that has information that a previous book already had because it kind of uh, overlaps yeah. and that you're is like true. yeah I already uh, know this. Uh, the game I'm presenting today for my for my for my games is is uh, song of ice and fire role playing and um what I really wanted to see from that 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 line is a is a series of books where each one talks about the stuff that happens in a particular novel in the series. And what oh. I really would love to see in that are stats for all the NPC signature characters the way they are in that book. So you can see them develop as they move through the plot. But I don't think that's ever going to happen. Are you expecting to get house books for it, like House Targaryen? You see, you'd have to house. do it. You'd have to do it one of the two ways. Mm-hmm. But at this point, the way that they've been running the franchise, I suspect that we're not going to see any of that kind of stuff. The game itself takes place before the the stuff that happens in the books, right? Because the so, cover is is uh, Rhaegar fighting uh, Robert Baratheon, yeah, in the whatever that river in was, the river, it, yeah, in the river, that, whatever the river was. I don't that remember river, that one, river, that one the river. famous river that I don't remember the name of. But yeah, the cover is really cool. But it's it's Robert and Rhaegar like dueling it out. Yeah, there's uh, there's a book for it 
that we'll get into in a minute. So I won't bore you with it. And it has all the it, it has all the stats for everybody in it. Like everybody. Like anybody <laughs> that was ever in any of the books is in it. And if you were going to do those supplements that had the ever developing characters, it would just be like a hundred pages of NPCs in every book and nobody fucking yeah. wants to buy that. <laughs> to just to see if like if Tyrion's bluffing score went up a die or not. You know, I was like, who cares? Who gives a shit? Um, all right, closing thoughts on IP gaming, just the general practice. What do we got? Who, who, how's everybody feeling? I feel, I feel like there's a tremendous amount of goodwill in this room for it. Right? Oh, I like I'm, IP gaming. I've, it, like I said, I interacted with it often and at a very early phase, and I still interact with it. I still like IP gaming. I still think it has a place. I think it's a lot of fun, and from a GM point of view, it saves you a lot of work. <laughs> oh my god. I, I made my own D&D world once. Wow. I'm going to have to love the people that are in the next group when I do that again because it's a lot of fucking work. <laughs> Amanda gets it. Amanda knows. You know, like I've done that with Vampire where it's like I write a city and I write every single thing and every single character and then like the game doesn't work out and you're kind of like, you play three sessions. <laughs> that and was a waste of three months. <laughs> throw the notes yeah. in the corner, yep. you know, but then like you get, you're like, oh, I'm going to do Vampire again and then you're like... Well, I don't know if it's going to work. So you just buy a city book and you kind of change a few things. Good to go. And then that game ends up working. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I definitely love IP gaming. In fact, the whole reason I wanted to get a copy of Blades in the Dark from you is so I could get I could get a copy of that, uh, the Stephen Brust setting for uh, for that. So that is yet to be released. Right, right. To be, to be released. Amanda, you are by far the most experienced GM in this group right now in terms of IP gaming. So I'd like you to have the closing words on IP gaming. Tell, tell, take our listeners out of IP gaming. It's like, what, 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 put, put the final note on it. IP gaming is, it's a lot of fun. You have to go into it with the right attitude and preferably the right people. So the right attitude for IP gaming is literally to have fun, especially from a GM point of view. I mean, uh, if you do D&D and you make your own world, it becomes your baby and you're like, oh, this is my baby and I want them to treat it, you know, and, and admire it and and love it like I do. But with an IP game, I feel um, you really have to want to embrace the fun and the storytelling. If you're one of these gamers that's really big on, you know, like, oh, I'm going to stick it to my characters or, you know, I'm going to throw my GM weight around, you don't want an IP game. Because, like I said, it's more about having fun and making a story mm. in the world that you guys all like. You got to be a little more carefree, in my opinion, when you're going to, especially GM an IP game. Because I, 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 I kind of imagine when, when like the, the churlish person in me kind of like just imagines the IP gamer without really thinking about it. It just like I just the off the cuff stereotype I come up with is this kind of like like bitter like like rules lawyer managery guy androids dungeon yeah, yeah who's like who's like who's like trying to use the setting to control you because he has those little personal fan theories and he wants to live out i mean that because i'm just a cynic and I, I just see things negatively i mean we're all sitting here talking about like what a great time ip gaming is but yet if somebody were to say to me oh hey you want to go play fucking uh firefly with some dude down at game depot i'd be like nah nah dude because i'd be all worried that it, that like the first time we tried to do something one of those big 
like pyramid ships to show up and there'd be a boarding action and we'd all get arrested. The ship would get taken away. We'd be in a prison somewhere, <laughs> you know? I don't want to do that shit, you know? I'll be cool like Mal and like kick people into turbines and shit, you know? Well, you can do either of those, really. No, you're right. You're right. But you got to be more loose. You got you to gotta be able to roll with it because you are going to get that douchebag player who's like, I know more than you. Blah, 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 blah. This is how it's supposed to be. Blah, blah, blah. And if you aren't going to just, you know, kick him out like you should, you're going to have to work <laughs> with him. <laughs> or you get the guy who's just like, oh, who's that over there? Oh, General uh, General Mon Mothma. I just throw thermal detonators at her. Oh, why? <laughs> Adam, you came with a lot of weird yeah, people, don't you? You just got to find, you got to find the right group, man. You do. You do. Right and IP gaming definitely lends itself more to a narrative story. Well, you know what, Amanda? You segued us perfectly into the next thing, which is each one of us has brought for the to submit to our listeners today a different IP game that they love. And we're going to kind of talk about those for a second. We're going to kind of pitch them to you guys. We're going to get a little bit kind of... We're, we're going to talk, talk amongst ourselves and get revved up about IP gaming. What we're going to do is we're going to describe the game. You know, we're going to describe not like the, the game and maybe the line like a little bit, right? And then we're gonna rate it against this uh, this uh, uh, what is it GNS scale that I found right, where the G stands for uh, gameism, the um, oh the GSN GSN so the S stands for simulationism, and the N stands for narrativism. And the the whole idea is here that that gameism is is what a lot of people call crunch, which is like how technical how technical the game is how like overwrought the systems are the level of customization that you can put into a character etc etc uh simulationism is the immersion into a sort of preformed world and interacting with the peoples and nations and customs etc that you experience there and um narrativism is the ability to tell stories that are filled with drama and that speak to you as a human through the power of storytelling. Okay. Now, ostensibly, every game that we're talking about should rank ten out of ten. We're doing these all on one to one to ten scales, where where one is the least, ten is the most. We could can say that there's a there's a zero, but I think even um, the most devoid of setting uh, fantasy game has an implied setting in saying like oh well here are the swords that you can get so sure. it, it implies there's a medieval level of technology and you know so you, you can kind of read between the lines and say that so that like a one in terms of simulationism would be a completely strippo fantasy game okay and 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 uh, what i was saying is is that the simulation which these should all be tens so so what we're gonna do here is the scale of 1 to 10 will represent how closely the rules of the game work to create the feeling of the movies or the television or the book, right? Or if the designers were way off base and they didn't really, they, they thought that they were making it like that, but it's not really like that, okay? So um, I'll begin so that we can kind of like get a sense of like what it is that we're doing so the game that i brought for everybody today is as i said previously a song of ice and fire from green ronin um this game came out in 
2010, two years before the gangbusters television show that um, propelled Game of Thrones into everybody's face. I bought it shortly around that time, I believe. Yeah, because back in the day, you were a super-duper George R. R. Martin guy. You were always getting in our grills about it, and I used to laugh at you and say, Ben, <laughs> I'm not reading a fucking giant thousand-page book that has like six <laughs> other sequels. That sounds fucking dumb. <laughs> And subsequently, I bought them all and read them all. <laughs> and um, it turns out you're right on the first part. <laughs> <laughs> Oburn. Uh, I know that I give Game of Thrones a hard time on this show, but the fact of the matter is, is I really, really love it. And I don't. I got my as a fan. I got my beefs with the books, and I got my beefs with the show. But at the end of the day, I really, really love the world, and I really, really love the idea. And there's just something about it that keeps me coming back to it time and time again. And I think I, I have heard subsequently that George R. R. Martin is a dedicated role player, like a dedicated role player, right? That before he got super famous, he ran these long running games and he'd been doing it since the 1980s. And I think when you read the Game of Thrones book, you can definitely feel that. The world is presented in this incredibly immersive way that's filled with all the kind of little tactile details and like customary little little kind of, I don't know, things that gamer people want to interact with, right? It's all the, 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 the colorful nations and the naming conventions and stuff. People get caught up in this crap. Sure. And, and, you, and, you, and you, you read about this shit and you think, I want to go there. I want to go to that place, right? So uh, I was hanging out with Heather. We were watching some Game of Thrones and she said, you know, I'd really like to play a Game of Thrones role-playing game. So I went on eBay and I went boop, 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 boop and I bought one and I started reading this thing thinking it was going to be lame and that I'd probably just end up using Fate or something to do it or Lamentations and I really like this game. I really end up liking this game. It has a really cool system that reminds me sort of of like a weird kind of like bastardization of um like if 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 3.0 and like the storyteller system like had a kid it would be this game. And if you want to play a game that is basically just sort of a very very low magic, like magic is practically non-existent fantasy medieval world you can you could buy this game. You could buy it's called A Song of Ice and Fire Role Playing, Game of Thrones edition, and you could just you could just buy this and just run it with whatever low fantasy setting you wanted to. The Game of Thrones stuff is just the icing on the fucking cake. Yeah, I, I think it has a really cool system. Now, so I'll get I'll get to my ratings really quick, and so then I'll kind of like uh, explain them. Um, for uh, gameism, I'm gonna have to rate it kind of high. If we're going to put things like Fatal and GURPS and Pathfinder up in the 9-10 range, then we're going to have to put um, Song of Ice and Fire at an 8 because there are three systems in this game, okay? There's your basic just, um, you got your combat shit, you've got a very detailed social combat system, and then this is the one that I think is kind of a bummer. This is the turd in the punch bowl of this game. You've got a mass combat system, okay? Now, I personally don't really feel like mass combats are that big a part of the book. And keep in mind, this game is about the book. It's based heavily on the books, not on the television show, okay? Now, while there are a lot of mass battles in the books, 
I don't feel like Martin gets into these like incredibly detailed descriptions of them. I feel like he kind of glosses over it where he just talks about swirling malaise and this was kind of happening over there and that was kind of happening over there. But what he really talks about is what the main characters are doing while they're inside of those sure. those battles. Like what happens to Tyrion when, when the ships come into the bay or whatever? The Blackwater Bay. Yeah. That's, that's the one I always think or of. Or the yeah. shadow creature that Melisandre summons from... Uh, Stannis to go, but even that wasn't like during a giant battle. That, that was, it was like, part of that giant battle. It was no, it was the, at night while while Renly was right. weren't they uh, weren't they sieging or whatever? I thought well, they were siege laying siege. Right. To well, the, that's a mass. A siege is a massed battle. Well, they're all just sitting around waiting for those other guys to starve. Anyway, uh, <laughs> still warfare. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel like the mass battles kind of rules is sort of like shoehorning this sort of like. Warhammer fantasy battle system into a otherwise great role playing game. And at this point now that they've like really like toned down the rules denseness of Warhammer fantasy battle and Warhammer 40k, there's actually more rules in this book about how to do a fantasy battle than there are in those games. That's uh kind of shocking. Yeah, right. So I mean and, and and they say in the in the book they're like, "Oh, well we want you to be like flowing in and out, like following what's going on with the characters and then pulling back out and uh looking at the big battle." And I'm just kind of like, "I don't think it's going to work." Just just having read it, I don't think it's going to work. Now, I don't know that I really need to roll dice for that though. Like if I'm going to have see, a big set piece right? battle, I kind of feel like I've already decided who's going to win, who's going to lose. And, and like if the player character's actions have an impact on the battle, that'll decide what happens next. Not, oh, well, you give a plus two die bonus to your side. Let's roll. Oh, you rolled poorly. It turns out it didn't help. Like that, that well, kind of cheapens the experience. To me. What's kind of interesting about this game is that it moves from the premise that all the same, all the characters belong to the same house, and that's really the main, main sort of social unit of the game is the house. And I really like how it focuses on that from the books, like the way in the books every character is so sort of, focused on their house. Yeah, right. And they're really I'm a Lannister. I'm a Targaryen. Exactly, and 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 they're busy working on the fortunes of their house as much as working on themselves. Like the house is almost like a meta character that's like bigger than them all, and they all know that. Right. It's like your and clan all, and vampire. I'd say it's mo- even more so really? in this because the idea of the fortunes that like in, in vampire you you're a arrogant ass vampire who thinks he's never going to die, but in this they all know they're going to die, but that the house will live on and that their actions and how that supports the house and the, how that creates the future of the house is actually more important than their own lives in a certain way. So it presumes that you can't play a character like say Peter Baelish. <laughs> you actually can. You, you, really? you, can, you can play. You can play. You can play these these really smarmy, manipulative characters who, who don't care at all about a house and want personal power. He does else. care about a house. He cares about his house. He, he cares about building but he, his he own doesn't house. Really care about. He doesn't really care necessarily about his kids. He wants to build his house for himself. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Truth. Um, so there's this house mechanic. Everybody comes from the same house, and then you actually have to build your house together. And there's a bunch of really interesting, very unique systems that build that house. You're about to say? No, I, I was just remembering some of this. I always thought that was one of the cooler things about about the game was like making your own house, and then like you know coming up with your own emblems. And yeah, that yeah, that was always really fun and cool. To be totally honest, the system is called the Chronicle system. 
And I think that they were they make a they make a big bones about it in the front where they're like this is the first game of the Chronicle system and there's gonna be more and you know 2010 there's no more, but I think if they got a hold of the Dune franchise rights, you could use the shit out of that for 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 Dune. It would really work. It would really work. I could see that. Um, so there is one book that I feel like when you buy this, you pretty much gotta get. If you're interested in what we've been talking about, which is like the interaction with the other NPCs from the books and stuff, there's a uh, game. It's, it's called the Campaign Guide, a Song of Ice and Fire Campaign Guide, and it literally has everything in it. It's got like all the houses. It's got all the regions. It's got the stuff across the narrow sea. It's got the fucking stats for. Podrick Payne. It's, <laughs> it's got everything, man. Like, if you want to interact with somebody from the goddamn Game of Thrones world, it's got stats in it, in here for it. It's so great. So if you... It, it takes place in this era that's sort of ambiguously before the books really start happening. So you can choose to run anytime after the War of the Usurper when Robert Baratheon takes over, all the way up the, the, the line supports to like the minute before fucking John Aaron dies and Ned Stark has to become Hand of the King, right? And then because you're a crafty fool who read all those fucking books and you've got Middle Earth Syndrome, you can do all the adjustments <laughs> to the stats yourself <laughs> to fucking make it. Oh, when Tyrion. The mountain gets, should really have 3D sync. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When Tyrion gets his nose cut off, he should gain the uh, abhorrent to behold flaw. You know what I'm saying? You can do all that crap yourself. So, um, so uh, where I was going to give them all these ratings. I'm good. This one's an eight for its gameism. For um, its simulationism, I'm giving it a 10. If you love the books and you love the feel of the books, Fucking song, Ice and Fire role-playing game. Fucking baller status. Uh, narrativism, I think, is also going to be very high. Because while there, this is a very, very crunchy game, you can pretty much do whatever you want with it. So let's give it a 9. Let's, you know what? I'll take it, I'll take it down to a 9. We'll go 8, 9, 9. How about that? Because, because it does have that war, that mass battles thing that I think is not entirely like the books. So we'll dock it. We'll, dock, we'll, we'll, take, we'll take it down to 8. 8, 8, 9. 8, 8, 9 is my final score. Song of Ice and Fire... Role playing for all you Game of Thrones nerds out there, Adam. What's up? You're next, buddy. What do you got? All right. What'd so what I brought is the Star Wars role playing game. Um, there's two editions of that role playing game that I like. There's been several editions of it. Um, the two that I like are the second edition West End Games version. That's the D6 one. Um, and then my favorite version, the one I feel really captures the Star Wars universe the best, is the Saga Edition. Um, this was the last one put out by Wizards of the Coast. Uh, and it was actually uh, kind of an amalgam or a blend of 3.5 and what eventually ended up being uh, D&D 4. Um, it introduced some of the concepts that were in D&D 4 into... Uh, the rule system as playtest things. It actually won a gold any for best game and best rules the year that it came out. Um, and it is a fantastic book. Uh, I love it to pieces. I love the entire line with the exception of one book, which is the Force Unleashed book, which sucks. It's a very stripped down version of Star Wars Universe. There's a ton of aliens. There's only five classes. Um, so you end up with uh, basically Force user Jedi, um, Noble... <laughs> scoundrel scout or soldier a lot of s's um 
there's not even a pilot class. And then eventually you start getting into your prestige classes, which are things like Crime Lord, Dark Sith Apprentice, pilot, like those kind of things. Uh, and so that's where you start to kind of build out your character more. Your first level character isn't useless. You can do all the cool stuff you see in the movies. Um, you get feats that let you do stuff like running attacks. So you can take part of your move, like make a slashing attack as a Jedi and then continue moving. Uh, it captures the cinematic feel of Star Wars very well. It's got source books for damn near everything. It's got a guide for Clone Wars. It's got a gu- guide for Knights of the Old Republic. It's got a guide for uh, Legacy. Uh, it's got the Rebellion Era campaign guide. It's got all of that stuff. Uh, it's got a book just on droids, a book just on starfighters. Um it can be a little pricey to get into because it's no longer in print. Uh, the books are a very odd format. They're square. Um, it's very odd for a role-playing game. I never game. liked that about the books. Uh, I think it was w- to make them stand out compared to the other role-playing yeah. books that were on the market at the time. Because they, when I see them on my shelf, I can very easily pick them out. Um, but they definitely uh, don't fit very well. Like it, it's, it's a weird look to the shelf um, where they're at. Uh, it's a really great series of books as a really fantastic game and a really tight rule set that functions very well, which I think is missing from the current fantasy flight edition, which tries to do too much. Um, and the three O edition, whatever you want to call that, where it was basically like, if you didn't play a Jedi, there was no point even playing that game. And it had horrible balance problems and horrible rules problems. And you can get it real cheap. Uh, so if you want to try that <laughs> one out, sure can. You, can, you can find that one cheap and use bookstores everywhere. There's tons of it because they mass produce the hell out of it. This one, for whatever reason, got a very limited run. Uh, they dumped all their books out in one or two years, and then they were like, done, the license is out. They basically dumped it out so that they could finish it before their license ran out on it. Yeah, because uh, um, Lucasfilm pulled the rights on them. Like Right, right Lucasfilm were- pulled the rights on them. And so one of the things is it doesn't have material for any of the newer stuff that's been going on, like the Clone Wars cartoon series that wrapped up, the Rebels stuff, uh, Force, Force Awakens, uh, the Rogue One. latest yeah, Rogue One. I was going to say Jin or so, whatever that one is. Um, it doesn't have any of that stuff, but it does have a ton of valuable information if you're looking to run or play Star Wars. Fantastic game. Love it. Um, so simulationism, I give it a 10. You can easily play a character who feels like they're in a Star Wars game. You can fly the Millennium Falcon around if that's what you want to do. You can get in an X-Wing. You can have a mass space battle. All kinds of fun stuff. Um, it is a Wizards of the Coast game, and it did come out between 3.5 and 4.0. So it's going to be like a 9 on the gameism aspect. You can There are very clearly builds that are optimal in this game. Um, and you will do... And we've talked about when we played it before. Like, if you play a Force user, no one else is going to have much use in the game. You are going to be destroying everything. Which is why I really don't care for the Force users. But other people love that part. So... Um, Gameism, it's a nine. Like it, you're gonna sit there and you're gonna build an optimal build, and it's gonna stomp everyone's face in. And if you don't, you're gonna suffer for it. Uh, as far as narrativism, narrativism isn't ever really a focus of Star Wars games. Um, you know, it's there if you want to. You're gonna get out of it what you put into it, since it's not really a focus of it. And they do have all these campaign guides and everything. I'd say like a six, maybe a five or a six. I mean, it's, can you tell the story you want to tell with it? Or are you shoehorned into playing some sort of like Joseph Campbell, like the power of myth type shit? No, you can play whatever you want with it. Like I said, there's a ton of campaign guides and it's got so much stuff out there and the galaxy is so huge. You can do whatever you want with it. Um, but it's not a focus of the game. It's not a narrative focused game. It's not um, gumshoe or one of those type of games, right? right. Like, 
you'll get out of it what you put into it. So I'm not really going to rate it higher than a five or a six just because that wasn't the focus of the game. The focus of the game was to make you feel like you're a character in a Star Wars movie um, with all the weird aliens and all the spaceships and everything else. And on that, it's aces. Um, And the story is whatever you're willing to put into it. Um, Yeah, it's a great game. I love it. Uh, I have kept all the books even through several purges of role-playing books. You're um, a very smart man. You're and I'll probably man. have them forever because it's it's the best edition. Um, and, and you prefer it to the West End, which is also very pricey. I prefer it to the West End edition. The West End edition, um, to re- it, it's got all the basics. It's got the main book has a TIE fighter. It's got an X-Wing. It's got an Imperial Star Destroyer. It's got a Mount Calamari Cruiser. It's got a subset of weapons, not all of them. It's got Stormtroopers, everything else. What the West End edition has going for it that is not like Star Wars is... When you are a first-level character, you are not going to be very successful, um, and it can be an incredibly fatal game. Um, you can just die for practically no reason. because it has almost that kind of like OSR feel to it. Yeah, and you're not you know, going like, to have your own ship. Like, they make it very clear in the second edition of West End Games, like, you're not going to own the Millennium Falcon. You're not going to be flying that around. You're probably not even going to have a ship unless you go into the hawk to a crime lord to get it, at which point... You're like doing this guy's bidding for him, and you're probably not a great guy. And Jedi in the game, like, there's not a really like Jedi, like, you don't get Jedi powers until you are several levels up. The, like, in the West End edition, Luke was basically banking XP when he was uh, killing Womp Rats. He was grinding Womp Rats <laughs> to like build his XP pool up. Then he met Obi Wan, he's like, All right, I want to dump all my XP and level up right now to Force User. <laughs> Well, that's you know you see that when he shoots the little missiles down the the hole in the trench. Right. Well, right? yeah, that's just, when he just like when he it's was even before that when he's got the little thing that's blasting him on board the Falcon, the little stun ball or whatever. Mm. And how am I supposed to see anything with the blast shield down? And you're like, <laughs> oh. So that's when he's dumping all his XP in his training montage to get better. And so, but yeah, it's like he just grind until. But in this one, you know, you're you can in Saga Edition you can play a pretty. Uh, effective level one character. You don't ever feel like there's not much you can do. Whereas in the West End edition, you might not survive long enough to really. That grow really your bothers character. me that they won't give you a ship. I mean, that just seems like an integral part of the Star Wars experience is flying around in a ship. Yeah, and the ships are expensive, and that's the whole thing is they go into the whole, oh, this is how much it costs, and this is how much you start with, and you're not going to have a ship. Sorry. And it's like, oh, <laughs> like even Luke had like a T-16, you know? It's like, how, how am I not going to have a ship? I need to have a ship. <laughs> All right. So how do you feel? You good, with, you good on Star Wars? Yeah, I, I really like Star Wars. I, finding a group is next to impossible because my idea of Star Wars and other, like you were saying, other people's idea of Star Wars are different. So when I go to run it or play it or whatever, I get, you know, either people who are, I want to be a Jedi or I get people, Misa Neimodian. And I'm just like, oh my God. All right, fine. How many midichlorians do I have? (laughs) Get the fuck out of here. Get out of my game. Why why are you here if you don't want to play Star Wars? So yeah, it's, you know, I I love the game. It's a great game. Um, I wish it wasn't so damn expensive, but. It's a great game. Well, you got them all, brothers. You don't even worry about that. That's right. I'm like Pokemaster over here. Caught them all. What you got, Ben? What you got for us today? I have a game that made... Well, I should say a game based on novels that made a profound impression on me when I was a youngster. Um, Elric slash Stormbringer. I... uh, we were talking earlier, and and, and uh, people had mentioned the first game they bought was like an IP game, and they'd mentioned what it was. It was not the first game I bought. It was not the first. The first I bought was Dungeons and Dragons. The second I bought was Elric. Nice. Um, 
I, I'd played Dungeons and Dragons, so I knew what it was, and I, I went out and bought it. And then I remember going to the game store and seeing it on the shelf, and I was like, holy shit. Seeing Elric. I saw Elric on the shelf, and I was like, holy shit, I got to own this. I have to own this book because I fucking love the novels. Is and, that the uh, copy you still have? I do. I still have that copy. Nice. I actually, so I bought, for, for those that don't know, I think it was 81. I'm not sure when the first Stormbringer was released. I think it was 81. But, it was a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, but, uh, but they released a first edition and a second edition and then a third edition and then a fourth edition, all titled Stormbringer, and then came out uh, an edition called Elric. It's basically the same game, just different name. And then they went back to the Stormbringer name afterwards, sort of weirdly enough. Maybe they thought Elric would sell better. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> it's Elric with an exclamation point, which is hilarious. Yeah. And there are some <laughs> some some really different uh, systemic changes in the Elric version. Uh, the original version was written by Ken St. Andre mm-hmm. of like Legendary Tunnels and Trolls fame. And by the time they got to the fifth edition, the Elric edition... Uh, they had they took his name off of it entirely because of because incrementally uh, all these rule changes added up that he wasn't even on it. Yeah, they they changed a lot of stuff about it. I think uh, in in terms. Well, I get to that in a second. I wanted to say that um, that why they're releasing all these editions. They also released um, uh, sort of skins for the game for for other Moorcock novels. So, for instance, there was also. Uh, Hawk Moon that they did, and then there was a Corum book uh, that had a really, really small, tiny run. Tiny. And 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 for those that don't know, when when Brennan was referring to one of his scores, Corum was one of his scores. Oh, I scored a I scored a mint Corum Corum book. So, so choice. I still I still have mine when I bought back in the day. Um, so to answer your question, I had I I have the Elric Elric was one I bought it was uh, in early high school I think maybe yeah sounds about right. Um, maybe middle school. I can't remember. Which one lets me play Elric? Uh, any of them that you want, I suppose. If you really want to play Elric, uh, I suppose you just need to pick up the source book and you can do it. Um, but I, I, I personally, that's not why I would want to run the game. I wouldn't want anybody playing Elric. Um, why do you like Elric so much? What about that story calls to you as a GM? What do you want to do with that? The world is... I. I all right. The, the world is so... F- fantastically different than any other fantasy world that I've ever read about. Um, the, 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 the characters themselves are all a bunch of assholes, anti-hero type characters. Um, the world is bleak. It's, uh, it, it's, it's uh, mostly dominated by the, the forces of chaos who are winning the war against the order gods. And um, they're alien entities. The, the 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 mortals in the in the world really live sort of at the um, at the behest of all these like extraplanar beings who are so alien they don't really care about them at all. Um, I think that's one of the big differences between between Stormbringer and Elric was they really changed how magic worked in the game, mm. right? So early on, uh, they really mimic sort of the feeling of the books. There's magic in the books, but most of it has to do with manipulating extraplanar entities, right? Like like Elric calls upon the Chaos Gods, or Elric calls upon, you know, his ties to elemental lords. Or uh, there's there's very few like I cast a spell and do something, you know? Right. It's like I summon I summon the spirits of the water and demand them drown my enemies, you know? Um, and that was the way that was what they tried to capture, I think, early on in the books. And so there's not a lot of spells, there's not a lot of anything like that. Um, and then I think that people, 
I think this presumption early on in those books is in, in, early on in Stormbringer is that you're playing sort of this normal human who is, uh, you know, doing whatever he can to survive and um, whatever, whatever type of venture you want to run in that. But, but he's not, he's not really a magic user because magic users are incredibly rare in Elric, right? There's, they either come from like a sorceress Island over here, or a sorceress Island over there. And, and the one over there, they're all a bunch of alien guys, you know, they're, they're like weird, creepy elves, you know? And the one over there, they're a bunch of fucking assholes who are yeah. crazy, who are yeah. literally deranged. And, and, and in that edition of Stormbringer, there was actually a 1% chance when you were rolling for your character that you would get to play one of them. Yes. So every time you sat down, you had a 1% chance that you might get to play one of those characters, which by the time they get to Elric exclamation point, they wash that. You cannot play a Melnibonean or a Pantangian sorcerer in Elric. But you can end up using magic. Hmm. So, I think I, I don't know. I think that a lot of the the traditional sort of fantasy genre tropes sort of wound, wound up in Elric that weren't in Stormbringer. You know, I see what you're saying. It's crazy when you think about how much like all the Morcock stuff actually inspired. Like uh, we were talking the other day, and, and one of my I just picked up this year, um, not not recently, but but like say in the last six six months or something, I picked up a copy of Hawkmoon, right? I I I always Chaosium one, yeah, the old Chaosium one. I'd always wanted to own it. I uh, once I found out it existed, um, and I never had, and and so I found a really good copy going on eBay. It's one of those like like tense moments where I was like, "Am I going to win this? Am I going to win this? I want it, yes, you know." Um, <laughs> I was reading that and I was just struck as I was reading reading through it how much like like uh, Games Workshop had seemed to lift from that into like 40k you know um, we were talking about signature characters and, and they have stats for every character in that in the basic book for in, in the Hawkmoon series right so they even have stats for the immortal emperor in his throne globe right who's like kept alive by the power of his throne globe through eternity um, they have stats for him if you want to use him in your game <laughs> you know like like alright that's cool I guess um now, I think uh, as far as ratings go, mm. uh, let's see. The rules, the rules have a very. It's it's like a sort of an offshoot of like basic role playing, right? Yeah, it is. It um, is. And uh, it's it's uh, fairly simple and easy in that sense. There's uh, some charts to roll on. Everything's percentage. Um, so it's not it's not. And, and truthfully, like there's not a detailed magic system, right? Early on, right? It's like it's like uh, it's like there's there's just talks about like summoning gods and summoning like like uh, explorer entities. Um, so I think that on the rules side, it's actually fairly light. I'd give it maybe like a five-ish. All right. Um, I think that uh, simulation-wise. Uh, I like the earlier edition rather than the later edition for reasons I've sort of mentioned here earlier. Because of the magic system. Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, it's the more ma- more like the original Elric than the later stuff is. The magic system in the Stormbringer interpretations end up being the point of contention on every single one because people end up having very strong feelings mm-hmm. about how how more cocky and magic should be interpreted in terms yes. of rules. Yes. Um and and I think a lot of that has to do with probably how Moorcock wrote a lot of that stuff. It's not like it's not really stratified, you know. It's not codified. It's yeah. it's just sort of like very narrative and how it works. Um, so when you're developing a game, that sort of makes the, gives you challenges. Um, 
And then as far as uh, narrative goes, I think that you could do a lot of wonderful things with it. There's plenty of source books out there because it's been printed over the course of like, uh, a, you know, a decade and a half or whatever that it was running on. Um, every edition has source books that they didn't reprint in later editions. They expected you to go back and buy the earlier editions. It's <laughs> true. So, so yeah. Uh, they're, they're unbelievably <laughs> expensive, guys. They are. <laughs> I, I'm, so currently, expensive. I'm currently trying to find a copy of one of one book that I regularly see go for $150. And I'm crying every time because uh, I really want to own it. Um, Stormbringer Companion 2 Demon Magic. Yep, yep. So if you have a copy out there <laughs> and you really feel like you just would love to gift it to me, I would happily take it. Like uh, In all seriousness, because we know a lot of people listen to this show, if um, if you want to have a copy of Stormbringer Companion 2 Demon Magic, go to a good gamer home for someone who will appreciate it. Reach out to us. We'll put you in touch with Ben and we, so you, can, you guys can work out a price. If, you're, if, you, if you'd rather have, say, some money than a copy of that book, Hit us up yes, because please you, do. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So that's that's my. Uh, I hope I carry over my love yeah. for Elric. On you know, that. you know what I love about Elric. Hmm. You know, the game Wraith the Oblivion makes you feel depressed. Okay, it's a depressing game, but there's something about the sort of melancholy of the doomed world that Elric lives in, and the way that he is doomed, and his friends are doomed, and everybody's doomed. That's like so poignantly sad like i just can't get enough of it it's just it's like it's like it's the role-playing game of like looking off into the middle distance it's so great but are you the same guy who hates grimdark like (laughs) it's different than grimdark right like like yeah is it or is it just a different flavor of grimdark because it just sounds like a slightly different flavor of grimdark grimdark comes from moorcock right in a huge way it's they sound very related to me and like you're always bagging on grimdark so i'm just very interested in how you delineate the difference between it's not horror it's it's like sadness you know it's like there there, there's a little bit of horror there but but the overwhelming emotion is sadness yeah um yeah, I don't know. It's uh, you know the character Elric himself is always like kind of like sad, sardonic, and just kind of uh, like you know. So it's less brutalism and more like more. I don't know, like it's a little bit more romantic in a certain. Yeah, way. it's more I the feel. cure and less like metal or whatever. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. That's actually a very good analogy. I like that one. Fair enough. Amanda, you're up. The last but not least, the guest of honor. We have Amanda, and you're going to present for uh, present to us what. Firefly. Tell us about Firefly. Um, well, Firefly, I loved the TV show. It was so short-lived. It was so sad. But as far as IP gaming goes, I really wasn't expecting a lot because my experiences with IP gaming, well, the first experience I had was Marvel. And it was like, I was so excited because I was like, oh my God, Marvel, it's like the comics. Oh yeah, it's going to be awesome. Was it like a little kid or something? Yeah. Okay. It was my very first experience with IV. And I tried it and it just was awful. It was horrible. I was like, oh my God, this sucks so bad. But it's That game's notorious. Marvel. So I, notorious. I, I suffered through a few sessions and I just couldn't do it. The first IP game I bought was Tank Girl that I never played. <laughs> so... <laughs> and then I, I did, um, I bought the Wheel of Time and played that, which was a disaster. Well, we played that for what felt like years. It, it was a disaster. Really like it had to have been years. So, so my experiences with IP gaming have not been great. So some of these like come off sounding like they're cash grabs, basically. Like, we'll just throw together a game, slap a label on it, and call it that, and 
Wheel of Time was exactly that. Right. So was that what you were afraid of? Like, because I saw this, and and I remember when I saw it on the shelf, I was like, this looks like a cash grab. Like the Doctor Who role playing game, I had the same reaction to. It. I was like, this looks like an obvious cash grab. That that's kind of my reactions to IP gaming. Like anything, I I don't care. You know what you you would have said to me. I've been like, oh, and in my head, I've been like, yeah, cool world. It'll be a horrible system. You know, <laughs> that's kind of what I thought of them. Um, because my first gaming up until like high school, I guess, was D and D. It was D and D. That was it. I I inherited my two uh, E books from my mom. You know, and she was the one that introduced me. So up until my bad experiences with IP, I was a D and D gamer. That was it. But the Firefly game, I actually really, really liked, um, and it was a lot different from the classic role-playing games that I would play. They do a really good job of of getting you into the world. Um, like I said, I love Firefly to begin with. This book, actually, I didn't even... The core book. Like I said, I, I didn't have a good experience with IP. So it sat on my shelf, shrink-wrapped, for years. Whoa. Years. That's a long time <laughs> ago, man. Yes. And currently, like I said, all my... All my role-playing books are in storage. So Jim was like, hey, will you run stuff for Phoenix Comic Con? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then I was like, well, fuck, what do I have in my apartment? (laughs) (laughs) Lo and behold, I had Firefly. (laughs) So I put that down as one of the games I would run at Phoenix Con. So I was like, okay, guess I better read it. Cracked it open, started reading it. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And it ended up being a very pleasant surprise. Like I said, I didn't expect much from it because it's an IP game and I'm, I haven't had the good experiences, but it was really good. It's more of a narrative cooperative game. It really, it really um, makes you be part of a crew. And that's the whole thing in, with Firefly too. You get your crew, you get your job, you go on your adventure. And that's what it does. So do you have to play like mercenary guys? Like, no, like, you like don't. Criminals? You don't. But okay. that's the funnest one. Okay. But you don't have to. You can be Federation going after the criminals if you want. Um, can you be Reavers? No Reaver book yet. No Reaver book yet. Is there I, setting support to play as a uh, play during the war that happened previously? There is. There oh, is. A, cool. They have a whole big campaign on the post unification war that you can play. And it's like that sounds awesome. Actually, <laughs> I want to play that. It's uh, I, re- I recall hearing good things about it because it was um, like Margaret Weiss is involved with it, right? Yes. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. It's a that. Margaret Weiss production. Yeah, because I had heard good things about it for that reason, and and I was always just kind of like, wow, that's not what I would have expected. I should have cracked it sooner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's like it's yeah it. Yeah, um, Cortex Games, Margaret Weiss, Ma- Margaret Weiss production. Um, Gameism, I would put it at a f- probably a four. It's not real big on, yeah, it's not it's not a big crunch game. In fact, in the core book, really, you don't even die. If uh, if something bad happens to you, they say because, like I said, it's really about cooperating and making the story. They say, okay, well, have your character have whosoever character it is that the bad thing happened to. They have to go to the ship and recover for X amount of hours, depending on how bad they've been incapacitated you know honestly that's kind of like the show yeah 
Yeah. You know? People people always fall unconscious in that show, and then they like get up a couple hours later and like, what happened? You know, <laughs> like you probably have brain damage. Yeah, I mean, no, yeah, no, nobody ever dies until the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one's definitely off the show, and it gives you the feel. It's great. So the game is gameism. I would give a four because uh, there's not a lot like making the characters is super simple. Um, there's not a lot of crazy, you know, oh five foot step combat crap. Uh, do they have a, a system in place to sort of keep you guys together as a crew? Or do you just rely on, like, everybody being like, okay, we're a crew, let's do it together? Well, they split up a fair amount in the show, though. They do. Yeah, they. it, it relies on you guys telling the story. It's okay. very narrative. Narrative I would give um, a 9 and not a 10 because the GM still doles out what are called plot points, which is what the, the players use to affect the story. So, so it's like on like kind of like the seven C sort of narrative level where like players control a huge portion, but there's still a GM that kind of like gives out stuff every so often, like sets the scene and like sets everything up and and like uh, gives them something to go with. Yeah, they can affect it. Um, basically, the plot points can be used to give them advantages or disadvantages depending on how they want to play it. Um, but yeah, it's very it's very cooperative. I was I was, that's what I was surprised by the most when I first played. I was like, oh hey, that's kind of cool because I've never really played like a cooperative RPG. Um, yeah, if it's, like, <laughs> if it's like the show, that's going to be a fair amount of heists, right? So there would have to be some cooperative element to it mm. uh, as like a heist game. Well, yeah, because you want you have some kind of goal. It can be a heist. It can be whatever right. the hell you want to make it. Uh, they have, of course, they have in the core book. They have. Um, all the TV show missions that you can do. Oh, neat. So if you want to follow with the show. And then they have other other expansions, other Do modules I get to be the hero of Canton? That is in there. You can if wow. you really want. Can you nice. go to like the center worlds or whatever and like extract something from the hospital? Yeah, if you want. Oh, shit. That sounds fun. <laughs> I, want, I want my own mud statue. <laughs> You'd look good in mud. I would. It's not, not far off. Uh, simulation definitely a 10 the whole book is written with that sort of tongue-in-cheek kind of smirkiness to it you know <laughs> well put um and of course it has like a whole page on the the mandarin phrases how to pronounce them that oh. you can you know s- speckle in there for flavor um that's kind of cool yeah the uh oh gosh i don't know the probably the Biggest supplement, it's called, it's officially called the Complete and Official Map of the Verse. Um, and it actually was not even made originally as a supplement. It was made by one of the designers that worked on the show to get the actual verse, like, out there on a on one big old sheet. <laughs> and it's gorgeous. And then Margaret Rice Productions was like, hey, this is awesome. And so they officially backed it and made it a supplement so you can actually buy it as a big two-page map that you can use or as one huge rolled thing that you can have framed as like a piece of artwork that's pretty cool yeah that's really neat <coughs> you put it up on the wall you play yeah great backdrop no, it'll fall off. it's gorgeous well it won't stay on the wall so you're gonna run it for your friends or what what are you gonna do with this thing uh well next i'm running it at crit hit <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um, so yes those are her friends at Crit Hit. So she'll They're be all for my her friends. friends. What about you, Ben? You gonna run some uh, some uh, Stormbringer? 
Uh, you know, I've got Hawkmoon calling to me more than Stormbringer. I've uh, I've been feeling the Hawkmoon burn for a while. Um, I've cracked it open. I've been reading it. Uh, so we'll see. I've been feeling the Quorum burn. What do you think, Adam? You want to play Quorum again? Uh, yeah, Adam. Adam played Quorum <laughs> back in the day. You want to play a pig farmer dog? No, <laughs> <laughs> never again, huh? What about you, Adam? You would you you you, you, pl- you have any plans to run Star Wars? I uh, I. I would have to find a group, and right now I just don't see that happening. But like, you do like, have some IP gaming in your future, which is Tales of Equestria. Which is Tales of Equestria, <laughs> yep. As far oh as God. that is going to be a simulation of the show, probably not so much. <laughs> um. I, I think I'd really like to run Song of Ice and Fire as my next game. I say that a lot, though, and we just had such a fucking banging Dark Ages game. I don't see the Dark Ages game kind of drawing to a close anytime soon, so... um. I, I imagine the Song of Ice and Fire is just going to go up on my shelf with everything else. It would be nice maybe to start a second group. You know, Amanda, we had that work group for a while. You know, the girl group. It was essentially a lot of girls. I mean, you, you know, I mean, maybe we could try and resurrect I that again. I miss the girl group. Because they all know Game of Thrones. And I think, it'd be, it'd, like we said, it's a good way to get new people into it is with something that everybody knows, which is yep. you know, game, everybody knows Game of Thrones. All right, so so that about does it for uh, this episode of Full Metal RPG. Thank you very much to the Warlord Amanda for coming by. Yay. Thanks for being here, Amanda. Yeah, thanks for coming. Good to be back. Oh, oh, <laughs> as we close, I just want to close on this little piece of trivia. So what do you guys think is the, is the, is the most expensive IP game out there? What do you mean by most expensive? Say you wanted to get into this IP game, and you were like, you know what, I, want, I, I don't have it. I want, to, I want to get into it. What do you think it is? Don't know. I don't know either. All right. Back at the beginning of the 3.0 era, there was a game company called like Last Unicorn Studios or something like this, right? And Wizards bought it. They were putting out IP games. They made their kind of bones on Star Trek, and then they bought, through like a series of loopholes, they bought the rights to Dune, okay? And they were going to release oh, a wow. Dune game. Now, Wizards bought them to buy the Dune license, right? And they made one book, the core book. They renamed it Dune Chronicles of the Imperium, and it was a Dune D20 book. And they printed it, and they released it one time at Gen Con in like the late 90s, early 2000s, all right? And then it never got released. The only ones that are currently in circulation are those ones that were released at Gen Con. Now, for the first few years that it was out there in circulation, you could get a copy of this book for 200 bucks. And I was broke as a joke back then, and I was like, you know what, man, I can't afford any damn 200 bucks for a fucking role-playing book. You're crazy, right? But things have changed. Life changes. Doing all right with money now, and I thought to myself a couple weeks ago, I'm going to go online. I'm going to find myself a copy of Dune Chronicles of the Imperium, and it's probably gone up. It's probably up to like 500 now or something. But I'll save up and I'll split with the bucks, and I'll get one because I want to have one in my hand. Right? I love Dune so much, so I go on eBay and do a little bit of a res- little bit of research. Dune Chronicles of the Imperium D20 from Wizards of the Coast, fifteen to twenty thousand dollars. Whoa! Wow. Those are the only ones that are available on eBay. That's some now, Bitcoin type inflation right there. <laughs> now, you can go on you can go on Amazon and there are three guys selling it. one of them is 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 one guy with two entries. So this person claims to have two copies and he'll sell you either one for eight hundred dollars. 
I'd like to see a copy. I'd like to see a picture of that book before I hand over 800 bucks. There's another person on there that says that they have it. They'll sell it to you for a thousand. Again, if these other guys are trying to get 15 to 20 K for it, then I want to see your copy that you're going to sell me for a thousand. You know what I'm saying? I want to know that it exists before I press send on that funds transfer. So that in my mind, listeners, you can top it, send it in. That is the chasest of the chase rare IP games. Chronicles of the Imperium Dune. All right, guys. Uh, so you know if you want to interact with us, uh, Full Metal RPG on Instagram. It's a great place to get a hold of me. We've been really hitting the gong hard on the Facebook page. So Full Metal RPG on Facebook. Come on down. Like us on there. Uh, please check out our, our uh, website, fullmetalrpg.com. Uh, go on iTunes and give us a give us a five star uh, review. We'd love it if you would. If you do, we will read it on the air. You can have your words immortalized on an episode of Full RPG. Um, in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. We we appreciate you very much. Uh, you guys are literally the reason that we do this. Um, we hope to interact with you soon and see you out there. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Have a great night. Have a great night. Good night. Down Made damn sure the pilot washed his hands and sealed his face. Pleased <laughs> <laughs> to meet you. Hope you guess my name. Oh, yeah. But what's puzzling you is the nature of my game. I stuck around St. Petersburg When I saw it was a time for a change I killed the Tsar
Yeah.